So this is like episode six and we still haven't figured out how to properly start this show. No, we definitely have no clue at this point. I think we're doing like, I think we're doing reasonably well with like the middle, but like we can't take off from the runway very well. No. And we're, we, we still kind of suck at landing at the end too, but, um, I mean, we could come up with something a little more concise. Maybe this music thing is, uh, this lack of music thing, maybe it's a problem. Maybe it actually is a real problem. Maybe we need maybe we need to do something about that. I'm Kevin Cray. I'm Steve DiMaselli. And welcome back again to the Point of Pittsburgh, the pod. So uh, whose turn is it on the couch this week? I believe you're up. Oh, okay. Well, I got one for you. Uh I am getting, maybe it's just because I'm getting older, I don't know, but I'm getting increasingly uh, less interested in pre-integration era players. I just think it's always been a little bit of a uh, scam or we've been kind of lying to ourselves about how great these players were when they never faced uh, a Latino, an African-American, an Asian and these guys were playing uh, against ba- basically ham and eggers, drunks, and guys that really never had any business playing baseball. Uh, and just because one guy happened to be the tallest midget of the bunch, he all of a sudden was crowned as like a great player. Now, I'm not saying that there weren't obviously great players, but um, it just it seems just a little disingenuous that we have to have this reverence for these players before, you know, the, the integration of, uh, different minorities into the game where it expanded. Um, I don't really know exactly how to deal with that, I guess. I'm still kind of working that out in my head, but I just, I'm always trying to think like, would Rogers Hornsby have been good in like the 1970s? Now, obviously he would have probably been about 92 years old. So the answer is probably no. Um, but if you could just like transport him and like have him do the same training techniques or, you know, Hannes Wagner, uh, you know, what would he have been like seeing pitching against, uh, you know, Fergie Jenkins and, and players like that um, or, or Louis Tiant, you know, players of that ilk. So it's just something I've been kind of thinking about and uh, just glad I could get that off my chest to you, Steve. Thanks. Kevin. I hear you. So we're kind of, we kind of had a cliffhanger at the end of last week's episodes. Uh, and I, I hope everyone's been, you know, all right since then. Um, we were doing our top 20 prospects and we got through number 10, leaving the very interestingly uh, crouched position of prospects number one through nine. Uh, so we're going to pick that up. we got a lot going on today. Um, we have a fun new game show that we're debuting after the prospects. Um, but we definitely wanted to dedicate some time to the prospects here. So we're going to pick it back up. Uh, we're going to do a quick recap here. Number 20 to recap was Kyle Nichols. Uh, number 19, Thomas Harrington. Number 18, Hunter Barco. Uh, number 16, Carmen Malazinski. Number 16, the recently unprotected uh, Matt Gorski, 
Um, Steve probably has an eyebrow raised over that one. Number 15, Cody Bolton. Number 14, the perpetually injured Lonnie White Jr. 13, Jared Jones. 12, the also unprotected Malcolm Nunez. 11, Nick Gonzalez. And 10, G1 Bay. So at number nine, uh, Steve, these are all guys that we like, so we don't have to really like trade off like we did last week on guys that we really didn't care for. So um, would you like to kick off with number nine, or how would you like yeah, to do that? Yeah, that's no problem. Um, so f- at number nine, we have Anthony Solamento, um, left-handed pitcher, last year's draft pick, one of the you know mega over-slot guys that, you know, allowed the entire city of Pittsburgh to fall in love with the major league baseball draft again. Um, you know, he's, uh, he, he hit the ground running. He had a pretty good year this year. Um, I mean, there's, there's really not much to say about it. Um, other than that, I mean, just solid numbers across the board, pretty consistent. Um, you know, kind of had the sort of year in the minors that you would expect somebody like him to have. Does that seem fair? It does. I just look at that windup, and I just cringe every time I see it. Um, it is the opposite of clean. A uh, lot of moving parts. You know, you got a, a very Tim Lincecum, uh, Madison Bumgarner, or excuse me, Tim Lincecum, Chris Sale vibe to him uh, with a lot of crazy movements. Um, but I'm not going to be the dark cloud on this parade, at least today. I'm in somewhat of a good mood today. So I agree with, I think that's a proper slot for him. And, um, you know, he's got a couple more rungs of the ladder to, to climb than our number eight, who is Mike Burroughs, someone that I particularly delight to uh, make fun of for his extracurricular tendencies to uh, enjoy alt-right politics and liking videos about January 6th insurrections, but I'm going to separate the art from the artist because again, I'm in a good mood tonight for some unknown reason. Uh, I think he is going to be a potential solid number three pitcher, which seems like it's damning with faint praise, but uh, a number three pitcher has a ton of value to it. And he's a guy that I fully anticipate that we're going to see up at PNC Park um, during the the dog days of, of summer this year hopefully by July. Yeah, I definitely think he could be a good one. And, and, and again, his proximity to majors um, makes him feel pretty good right now too. Um, so number seven, we have Bubba Chandler. Um, and I think that this is good that I'm saying, you know, him, because I think that my ranking of him, you know, bumped him up on our list a little bit. I'm, I think I'm higher on him than you are. Um, just like the raw tools, I mean, this guy's a, a the big power guy, you know, whether it's behind the plate or, um, you know, uh, on the mound, uh, you know, it's still a long way to go uh, to the majors at this point. And there's still certainly a lot of uh, questions here and a lot of things that he needs to iron out. Um, but when I think about him and I, you know, the, the guy that I, I think about to compare him to is Stetson Alley. And he's just... Um, you know, uh, they're, they're both similar type prospects, similar circumstances to when they were drafted and, you know, and, and the big bonuses that they got. But um, Chandler just looks so much more plausible at this stage 
than Ali did. Uh, you know, he's not, again, he's he's got some big strikeout numbers, you know, as a pitcher and as a hitter, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of, uh, there's a long way to grow. And I, I think when he finally does pick one side, I, I think he will, um, or, or I shouldn't say when he picks one side, when, when you know, natural baseball selection picks one side for him, I, I think he's going to develop pretty strongly in that direction. And I do think he's going to end up as a pitcher rather than a hitter. Yeah, I, I look at him and I just kind of feel that that natural selection uh, is going to probably run out after this year. I think this is probably going to be the, the last year for him uh, in terms of being a two-sport, two-side-of-the-plate kind of guy. Uh, I just I don't see it with the bat. Um, way too much swing and miss, not enough contact. But what he showed as a pitcher um, was very impressive. Now, obviously, the the walks have to come down. Uh, and Stetson Alley is, of course, a great comp uh, for him. But I think you're going to start to see him start to maybe concentrate a little bit more on the pitching and become more of a pitcher, less of a thrower. So that takes us to number six. Uh, now, this one is interesting. I, I've seen a lot of people kind of start to sour on uh, Leover Perguero, um, whether they feel he's been bypassed uh, by all the other shortstop prospects in the system. Uh, I mean, obviously, O'Neill Cruz is the flavor of the day, but I don't know if it was his kind of poor second half of the year. Um, you know, he got into a little bit of trouble on social media. It just feels like he's... His, he's trending down for some people. Uh, I've seen a lot of people saying, well, let's trade him while he still has retained some value. Uh, I'm not really there yet. I always like to feel that failed shortstops turn into good second basemen and potentially interesting center fielders. Uh, and I'm certainly not saying he's a failed shortstop at this point. But I, I still want to see a little bit more out of him because I think he can actually come up to Pittsburgh this year, not just for the one day to cover for COVID. Um, and I'd like to see what he has to do. And maybe after this year, we have to make a decision on him. Yeah. So the next guy that we have on the list, uh, we already got to see in Pittsburgh. So he's already arrived. Uh, and this is a guy that was certainly not really very high on my list before he made his debut. And that is, of course, Luis Ortiz. Just before I even go on with him a little bit more, my thoughts on him at number five, you you agree with me, right? Like he came out of nowhere on your list too. Oh, absolutely. And and I don't think it was just us. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of people were, were sleeping on him a little bit. Um, you know, obviously there's people that are going to tell you that he was a, a high riser and they, they were in love with him, but um, I loved him the whole time. Yeah, there's all, all these content kings on online. Uh, I mean, he had good numbers in 2021, um, but he was a 22-year-old in low A. Uh, and he did, have, he did have good numbers, good surface stats, uh, but I don't think anyone forecasted his meteoric rise um, 
and I would actually hazard to say that aside from Andy Rodriguez, he probably had the biggest rise of any prospect in the system this year to the point that he got his cup of coffee at the end of the year. And there's a lot of people uh, really hoping to see him on opening day uh, in the number two or three Mm -hmm. spot. Yeah, Um, no question. a, A lot of people. I am not necessarily one of those people. I, I'm not necessarily one of those people either, but I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be sad if he was, you know, like I would, I would just kind of say, okay, that's great. I'm glad you're here. Uh, and if he's in triple A, I'd be like, okay, well, I hope to see you in early June. Um, I just, I just kind of get this feeling that, uh, I don't know. I just think the pirates have to do something. They can't just keep doing the same Mm-hmm. pattern of just running just junk out in April and May and punting on a third to a half of the season. Um, if he's one of your best five, you, you bring him up. Same with Mike Burroughs, you know, same concept though, you know, sure. slightly different, but I just want to see the guys up here. Um, this is not a team that is going to get killed by super two. They have so much payroll space, you know, yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that. And I don't necessarily think that this is going to be a super two sort of situation. I, I really do think the guy's got some work to do at this point. Um, I, there's really no change up to speak of. And I mean, I know we've, we've talked about this before. Uh, you know, I'd love to see him go to AAA, but at the same time, throw throw his change up 30, 40% of the time. I would love to see him go to AAA and honestly get rocked in April because <laughs> teams know what's coming. They know that they're going to be that they're going to see the the the, the change up every other pitch or every third pitch, um, and they they know it's not a good pitch right now. So I, I'd love to see for him to go down there uh, and and just just really work on that and knock that out because I I do believe that he's got massive upside at this point um, if he can actually develop that third pitch. If he doesn't, I mean I think he can still be a pretty good starter, but. I, I do think it's going to be pretty limited. Uh, I, I don't think he's going to be quite as as good as he could be. Yeah, he served up a ton of home runs in double in his short time in triple. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to your point, he only had two starts in triple A. So, uh, right. again, I, it would not – I guess wherever he is, I'm fine with it, is, is my summary on Luis Ortiz. Cool. So, number four – uh, I'm going to put this out there right away. I don't know if this is, should have been in Kevin's safe space or not is Tamar, Tamar Johnson. And I'm a sizist. Uh, I've always had a, I've always looked at it with a shady eye towards short players. And everyone, as soon as you say that brings up Dustin Pedroia. And then I always bring up like, what about the other 5,800, 28 tiny guys that never made it. Um, yeah, this guy can make contact with the ball. He can do all those great things, but he's a second baseman and he's short, not just like five ten, five eleven. He's, he's short. And to me, the, the, the comp, I don't even know if it's a lazy comp, but the comp 
is Nick Madrigal, uh, who came up with the White Sox. And he was another guy who was just, oh, the bat, the bat, the bat, short guy, never struck out. And he hasn't really done anything um, in his career of, of note. And I, I just really hope that that's not the same case with Tamar Johnson. But again, I'm being Professor Positive tonight, and I really look forward to watching him uh, destroy baseballs in 2023 at probably high A, and he's probably going to get a cup of coffee at Altoona. Yeah, he, he might. And I mean, he's going to be doing that at the ripe age of 18. I'm going to play wait and see with him because there's been enough people that have really given him outrageously high expectations. And I think that we are actually exercising some decent restraint by having him only at four based on some of the things that people have said about him, like the best hit tool since yada, yada, yada. So I'm, I'm going to wait. And, and I mean, I can definitely see the argument against him uh, and, and, and how he is uh, up against it in a lot of ways. But I, you know, like I said, we'll, we'll wait and see. Like I said, if he does start at if he starts at high A at 18 and does well, that's going to be a really, really good sign. Even if he does passably, I think that's going to be a really good sign. Yeah, I, I had a little bit of an aneurysm there. Uh, I meant to say low A with a cup oh, of coffee. Oh, really? At high a. Okay. Yeah. All I, right. Yeah. So okay. looking forward to seeing Tamar Johnson at low A ripping the cover off the ball all year with a cameo at high A. Okay. There we go. That's. That sounds a little better, but I mean, even still 18 first full season, um, you know, that's, that's still a good spot. Um, and I believe he had an, o- eight, oh, an over 800 OPS there this past year. So that's a good start. So anyway, uh, on to number three. So we both have Quinn Priester here. Uh, and I think, um, we'll just basically be patiently awaiting his arrival in Pittsburgh. I didn't have a great, uh, time in Arizona this year, but I, I think, uh, the balance of his work uh, to this point makes me think that he's in a really good position to take steps forward. I, I think he might be a little more ready than some other highly rated prospects that the Pirates have had because he really uh, hasn't struggled in Double A. You know, we you know you saw Mitch Keller fall off a little bit in Double A. I think Glass, uh, Tyler Glass now did as well too. I, I think Quinn Priester's really kind of hit the ground running and hasn't hit a wall yet to this point. So I'm looking forward to to seeing what he can do and seeing what he can do sooner than later, hopefully. How excited will you be, at least with anticipation, to see in August a very, very potential, I mean, this is is not daydream, this is really potential, Uh, a Contreras, Priester, Ortiz, Burroughs, one through four, and toss in a interesting, spicy Mitch Keller. Uh, I, that's a that's a one through five that I can live with. Now, you and I have spoken, and I really hope they get a veteran. Uh, you know, we've we've each tossed our names out there uh, for who we'd like to see, but I could really get behind uh, an August September rotation that I just named. Yeah, I think by that point, the veteran's going to get traded. I, I still don't think this team's going to be in competing shape just yet. I, I could be wrong. And, and I mean, this does sidetrack us quite a bit. 
Um, what I'm really hoping for is the uh, a Quinn Priester debut when uh, they the, the Pirates are out here in Seattle um, <laughs> at the end of May. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I don't think it's going to happen, but that would be uh, that'd be real nice. I would I would definitely uh, take the short trip up I five. Um, short trip by West Coast standards. It, yeah, it, it's still a three-hour drive, but uh, I would I would head up to Seattle nonetheless to see that debut. That's for sure. So, I kind of want to maybe tackle this one uh, in a little bit of a different fashion. When was the last time you've ever seen any team with their top two prospects both as catchers? I can't say that I have. Um, So we have at number two, Andy Rodriguez and number one, we're still carrying that torch for Henry Davis. Tyler Heineman. Oh, 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 yeah. We're not, we're doing, we're doing Henry Davis. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We switched it up at the last second. I guess Tyler Heineman lost his prospect status already. So that's, it's not even a very funny joke now that I think about it. So we had Rodriguez at two and Davis at one. I still, I mean, Rodriguez had the killer year. We dedicated a chunk of one of our episodes to how I think he should be here opening day and signed a major league contract to eliminate all the Super 2 shenanigans. But, man, I still think Henry Davis's bat is going to be really special if he can stop getting hit by a pitch every uh, fourth at-bat. Yeah, I I think the... um... The Tony Sanchez or Tony Sanchez after he got hit in the face with a fastball and that kind of tanked his career. It's just, you know, I've got those same worries about Davis. I just do. I'm just like, you know, don't don't get hit in the face. Don't re-aggravate it in a bar fight or whatever the legend has it, you know, that that caused him to miss that entire year and just tank. But yeah, I I mean, yeah, getting hit by a pitch is great, but I really don't want my star player doing that. I want the guy that's hitting in the eight hole. That's that's the guy I want running in front of pitches. You know, yeah. um, if they're if they're on the DL, who cares? You know, but if Davis ends up being that middle of the order guy, I want him safe, and I want him I want him in bubble wrap. That's what I really want. <laughs> so there you have it. That is the uh, T pop top twenty. Um, I really am in a like I said, very ebullient mood about all the prospects right now. And uh, I think that's a pretty solid list, Steve. I really do. Yeah. I mean, it's as good as what any as feel, far as I'm What concerned. does it feel like to you that this system ranks? Are we, we think in T5, T10, middle of the road? I, I mean, We're, what do you I think still think T5. I mean, it's such a deep system. I mean, we could go way beyond these guys that we had in the top 20 and and f- identify some guys that we think have a chance. Uh, I, that, to me, is the quality of the system right now. I, I mean, again, I think we're, with Cruz out, you know, we lose quite a bit of the top ends. Plus, I, I don't really think they got super, super exciting players in the last draft. Not like, uh, certainly not Bubba Chandler, uh, Anthony Solamento types. Right. Um, Agree. But I, I still think that there's just, you know, there's just, there's oodles of depth here. I mean, there really is. Um, I, I mean, we could have, we could have had fun and, and had some interesting names if we did a top 40, I think. All right. So we're going to debut a new feature here on T-Pop the Pod. Uh, we're going to do a game show. 
And it's a little game I came up with. Uh, I always like to mess around with Steve and test him. He's a little bit more of a... My morals are rather gray. Uh, so I'm going to test him to see uh, what his limit is. And the, the name of the game show is How Much Is Steve's Soul Worth? And the premise is, let's assume that Bob Nutting has finally had enough and he's going to sell the team. But it's to someone that may not be to Steve's liking. So just like Dante, we're going to descend through some levels of hell and see uh, what level is Steve's breaking point. Um, kind of got this idea thinking about we, Steve and I both follow the Premier League and Newcastle, uh, for those of you that may or may not know, kind of had a lot of parallels to the Pirates, in my opinion. They were a very once-proud franchise, uh, fallen on hard times, and in recent years had a very uh, controversial and uh, skin-thrift owner named Mike Ashley. So when it was finally decided that he was going to sell after all these years of torturing the fan base, everyone was very excited. And then they sold the team to uh, essentially the sports wing of Saudi Arabia. So Newcastle... Uh, is now owned by Mohammed bin Salam, essentially, uh, the infamous MBS, who has a uh, little bit of a sordid history, we'll say, especially with journalists. Uh, so that's kind of made me think about this game. Uh, now, the good part about Major League Baseball's monopoly is that they pretty much try to keep out uh, as much riffraff as they can, and they prefer to keep just United States-based riffraff. So we're for the purpose of this game, we're not going to assume that uh, a nation-state like Qatar or Saudi Arabia is going to buy the Pirates and try to sports-wash their way to goodwill. So we're going to keep it to just terrible U.S. people, of which there are a few. Uh, you ready to play this, Steve? I don't know why I'm the one that has loose morals. I always think of you as like the nicer of the two of us. Oh, all right, fair. All right, so but here's that being the part. Said, I might I might disappoint and shock a lot of people by some of the uh, the people that I agree with here. But go ahead. Here's the part where Steve's going to drop in some jaunty game show music that we found for free because we're not spending any money on this thing. All right, and here we How go. I like that. I was. I didn't even write it this time. I, that's probably why I was good. All right, so here we go. Level one. We're going to start you off easy. Okay. We got it. Just a generic, good old fashioned rich guy, but he's not from Pittsburgh. So I am a okay with this. Um, I like, I, I mean, I love Pittsburgh as much as the next guy from Pittsburgh does. That being said, I don't think being from Pittsburgh needs to be a qualifying factor for somebody that is going to do something with Pittsburgh sports. I am great, actually, with with breaking that out. And, and I think the Steelers are legitimately the most guilty of this. You know, the evil, it seems like everybody that they hire, uh, whether it's assistant coaches or general managers or, you know, whatever, there's always going to be some, like, Pittsburgh tie. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong on that, but... I don't think it's necessary. That's my own personal opinion. So I'm a-okay with a generic rich guy, not from Pittsburgh. Okay. Level two, a Hollywood celebrity who really doesn't have much to do with the baseball world. 
Yeah, I'm I'm fine with this one again too. I, I love what Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhinney are doing with speaking of of English soccer with uh, the first place uh, Wrexham mm-hmm. uh, team that they purchased. They're uh, it, so for those not familiar with this situation, that team is down in the fifth league, and they uh, which is outside of the normal professional tier of of English football, and they have designs of bringing this team, you know. I don't think they'll ever actually make it to the premiership, but getting them pretty darn close to it. Um, and and honestly, even if they can get them out from being a a, a non league team into a, uh, a you know even a first division team, you know the, Reynolds and McElhinney are gonna they're gonna pocket some dough from from you know their investment into this team. But they're doing a nice job there. It, it's a lot of fun. They've got a show I believe on ESPN uh, that, that that's sort of chronicling what they're doing there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I would say pretty much any Hollywood celebrity except Kanye. <laughs> uh, so like The Rock announces he's part of a consortium to buy the, the team tomorrow. You're, you're good? Yeah, I'm fine with that. I have no okay. problem with The Rock. Okay. So. All right. Level three, a real estate mogul who comes in with a lot of buzzwords about building out the the neighborhood and developing decentralized housing and trying to have components of a uh, a sports entertainment zone around PNC Park. Mm, maybe if you bought the Penguins. Um, no, I mean, again, I, I mean, I have no problem with this. I, I think... I think real estate moguls have a tendency to be a little overrated um, in terms of their business savvy. That's just my own personal belief uh, in the matter. But I, I mean, I, I would have no problem with this if they're going to have money and they're going to, you know, uh, do things the right way. You know, yeah, why, why not? You know. All right, level four. It's time to think about eating the rich. A hedge fund manager worth billions, who basically just takes advantage of poor people all day long. Would there be like a, um, would there like be a, uh, a, a, a Patagonia, uh, vest giveaway night? I mean, is that, would that be something that could happen? Like a pirates Patagonia giveaway? Um, I think so. I think we could probably work that in as a, okay. We could work that in. What about Um, a bobblehead with a Patagonia vest? Okay. With, with 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 the general manager, so the the pirates are just gonna play. They're just gonna play games in Patagonia vests. I think yes. is that that's they're gonna bring back the vested uniforms, but they're gonna be Patagonia. Um, yeah, I have no problem with Patagonia. I mean, let's let's go with it. So no, I, I in all fairness, again, I, I think if they're gonna do it the right way, I have no problem with this. I, I mean, it's um, I, I I do get a little concerned about ego in this case. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'll still go with it. I'll still go with it. Okay. So the, the Pittsburgh pirates are owned by BlackRock. You're, you're cool with that. I mean, BlackRock's got money. Okay. Just checking. All right. Level five, a faceless conglomerate, much like the Liberty media is with the Atlanta Braves, where you're basically just another line item on their, uh, Year-end annual report. I feel like Bob Nutting is as close to a faceless conglomerate as a human being can get. I mean, if we're being totally honest, you know, that's pretty much that's pretty much what his company is. He just is the face. Of, he just happens to be the face of this conglomerate. Um, 
See, and now now we're going to the other end of, of directions where I'm concerned that this faceless conglomerate is not going to be interested enough. You know, I, I mean, like, I, I am a little concerned here that they would be, that they're just getting into it for money aspects and to either clean house and chop it up and sell the thing again, um, you know, or, you know, just to like sort of winnow away as much profit as they possibly can. And so, I mean, I, I am starting to get into a little a bit of my concern areas. Mm-hmm. Now, if if somebody came in and did it the right way, I would be great with that. Um, but it would be nice if our faced conglomerate would actually sell the team, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Have you ever seen when uh, the Braves, Liberty Media, more accurately, uh, they have to release their books, basically, um, because they're a publicly traded company. Oh, interesting. Have you ever seen those numbers? No, I haven't, actually. I've never, I, I mean, I, I, I have not. Now, the Braves just won the World Series last year. Twenty. Yeah. Well, you know, you know what I mean. Twenty twenty one. Yeah. Liberty Media is doing just fine by the people of Atlanta at this point. Right. But holy cow, I would still be salty if I were a Braves fan. I mean, they oh, are yeah. clearing tens of millions of dollars every year off the Braves. Hmm. Interesting. And, and, you know, and just thinking about losing Freddie Freeman, um, mm-hmm. that would make me pretty salty, even mm-hmm. in the bask of that World Series win. But. Hmm. I digress. Interesting. I'll have to say, I'll send you those over sometime. I'll, I'll find them and send yeah. them to you. All right. Level six. Here we go. Buckle up. Crypto company, bro. Oh, Jesus Christ. He comes in, and you know exactly where I came up with this one from. Talk about well, ripped no, from the headlines. Well, no, it's very topical at the moment. <laughs> yeah, ripped from the headlines. Uh, guy comes in, starts talking about blockchain, and, you know, Nobody in the media, of course, brings up that crypto is the Ponzi scheme of the 21st century, uh, but he talks about uh, all kinds of corporate buzzwords around blockchain and market-driven economics. Uh, yeah, I, I had to laugh watching the FTX get taken down off the Miami Heat arena this week. No, no, I know. At risk of uh, at risk of having the Dogecoin trolls after us, I mean, I don't know if I want to say no to this one, but uh, I I really can't get behind this. I just can't. <laughs> yeah, here I we just, go. Now I mean, we're talking. I mean, seriously. I mean, and not necessarily because I think that crypto coin is immoral or, or crypto com- companies are immoral, even in light of this, uh, you know, of of, of FTX. Um, I just think. At some point, the whole thing's going to tank. And if it does tank, then it's going to tank the team with it, you know. Um, and and I'm just uh, – because, I mean, that's going to be the last thing that the, whoever bought it is going to be clinging on to for their, uh, <laughs> um, for their income, you know, and, and any kind of credibility that they have. So I have to from, – from a stability standpoint, I have to say absolutely not on this one. I just think it's uh, – I just think it's a bad idea. Man, now I'm kicking myself. I should have moved that one to number eight. I thought about it. Mm-hmm. But I was trying to think of like your, your more environmental bent policies. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, there's that. I mean, like I do, I mean, I do disagree with crypto from from the pure energy standpoint of it and the waste of, uh, you know, and, and just the drain that it is on, on power grids and whatnot. But I mean, like I said, I just, from, a, from an economic standpoint, I just... 
I don't see the system as sustainable. I think it's just being propped up by its own self. Um, and I mean, there's something to be said about that. It's, it, you know, but uh, if the wrong crypto busts, I mean, so does the, so do the pirates, you know, that's just all there is to it. And there have been a lot of busts lately. That's for sure. All right. So we'll move off of the world of decentralized finance and head into level seven. Uh, it's a politician who buys the company, who buys the team, but uh oh, you don't agree with his policies at all. Yeah, I'm gonna. I, I think this is one that I'm going to just hold my nose and and suck it up for you know however long they own the team, uh, just like I would for however long they uh, occupy the uh, Oval Office. I mean, I, nobody likes. Nobody's gonna like this. It's not gonna be. Uh, you know, something that uh, you, you want to see happen, and it's going to be certainly an irritant. I don't I, I don't think I would have a, a major issue with this. I, I mean, for as much disagreement and dissent as there is in American politics, I, I mean, and, and for as much as name calling as there is across the aisle at this point, I don't know if there's anybody really that bad, with the exception of maybe one or two people uh, <laughs> at, at, on the furthest fringes that could actually afford to buy the team, um, that I would be, you know, real concerned about. Okay. All right. Last one. Level eight. And now, again, I'm kicking myself. I should have thought about putting crypto at level eight, but I thought I could get you on this one. Uh, just a an oil baron, oil or natural gas, someone who has made their billions off the backs of potentially poisoning groundwater for everybody on mm -hmm. fracking so do, or, you know, continuing the fossil fuel, let's, let's have combustible engine cars type of guy. And this was as close as I could get to having a petro state like Qatar, uh, by the team. So you're saying Saudi Arabia is not done with Newcastle? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> right. Okay. I don't know about this one. Um, I'm leaning towards being okay with it. Um, just again, it's it's an incredibly stable, uh, stable industry, you know, and, and again, I mean, that's really, you know, stability at this point, stability and some kind of effort. I mean, those are, those are two things that, you know, are, 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 would be pretty, uh, pretty important to me. And I, I would think, a, you know, an oil baron's going to have limitless funds to dump into this team, even if they are small market. Um, you know, I, I mean, I guess it kind of comes down to what kind of oil baron we're talking about. Are we, are we wanting, uh, you know, a baseball fan oil baron that's going to treat this team like it's his toy and just load load up the, you know, the payroll with his own cash? Or are we talking about somebody that's going to be, you know, um, spend thrift and just looking to make a profit, you know, the same way as a faceless conglomerate might? I am no, I, I would be no on the faceless conglomerate type oil baron. I would hate to see that happen. But I mean, somebody that's going to do absurd things with the obscene amount of wealth that they had for my personal enjoyment on the baseball field, uh, I'll take it. I'll, I'll go there. So I guess I, I guess that there is. Uh, I, I guess maybe I was the better person to have played this game. Man. So just to recap, the only, the only hard the only hard no for you is crypto. Yeah. 
and it's not because of morality. So yeah, I am I am a trash human being. That's we're coming to terms. We're coming to terms with my low moral standards as long as I win, baby. As long as the Buckos win, I don't give a crap, I guess. Um, no, in all seriousness, my litmus test for a good owner, and I think I did a a little bit of a um, uh, of, 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 I think I did a piece on this when we still had T-Pop, uh, but my, the main thing that I want from an owner is for them to stay out of the way of the people that actually know what they're doing. Uh, I, I mean, again, that's part of the reason why I had pause with the hedge fund manager, because I could see a hedge fund manager being like the ego-driven person that's going to like want to get his, dig his claws into the day-to-day operations of the franchise, and, and most importantly, the personnel of the franchise. I don't want any owners with any interest in that at all. I, I want them to stay away. Because they, they don't know what they're doing. I, I mean, in all fairness, that, that's why you hire experts into positions to do what they're doing. Um, and I do think, I mean, and to Bob Nunning's credit, I do actually think he does this quite well. You, you see a lot of owners in sports that don't do this well, like Dan Snyder's of the world, um, you know, who's who's obviously much maligned and, and is might even be on his way out at this point. Um, Jerry Jones is another one, you know, um, but yeah, those two managers that are those those two owners that I just mentioned. I mean, those are the people, you know. I, I they they're just they're just people I want to avoid. Like I mean, they 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 invest money into the team, but at the same time, I just want them want them out on the day to day. The the next thing I, that I care about, and obviously Bob Nunning does not do this, is I want to see them invested in winning and you know committed to spending the resources that you need to actually win. You know, that's where to me he falls flat. Um, stability is also an important part of this. You know, again, are they going to be able to, to, to secure those resources and protect the team um, over the long haul? I, again, I don't want to see a, uh, an owner's personal issues jumping in here and, and, and causing that to interfere with the actual, um, the actual running of the, the, the team, you know, so... Um, but yeah, I, I mean, so that's really that's really kind of what it comes down to. It, the who is not all that important to me. It's the how at, at the end of the day. Except if it's a crypto company. Well, yeah, I mean, but that's part of the that's part of the 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 how. You know, I think that impacts. I think I I think there's a serious concern on my end of of how they would actually be able to run the company or the team. Well, I think my I speak for the audience, but. Uh, I thank you very much for allowing me to peel back some of the layers of your soul and see that uh, there's not much left aside from blockchain, aside from blockchain technology, you, you'll take any, uh, any port in the storm right now. (laughs) That's, that's just how bad things are, buddy. (laughs) All right. Well, I just want to say thank you again for letting me hang out with you for uh, this time on Thursday night as we record this and I hope you're going to have yourself a great West Coast week yeah Um, and uh, what's your weather out there by the way right now we are better than Pittsburgh that's for sure so we are uh, it's very windy but it's been sunny and dry Um, but it's been in the it's been in the low 50s you know lows in the mid 30s upper 30s for the most part so it's been pretty decent, yeah. but I mean, it's, you know, it's my second winter out here. So that weather is starting to feel cold to me because it's been a little, you know, I mean, I, I haven't been in a, uh, in a proper 
you know, East Coast winter, you know, since, uh, you know, since, since we left, basically. And I mean, that was that was in the fall. So I, I, I totally uh, it, it's it's been a while since I've had a proper winter. Let's put it that way. It can always be worse. We could always be Buffalo just in general, but especially for this weekend uh, when they're expecting three to six feet yeah. of snow. That's gonna be wow. uh, it's gonna be pretty insane to watch how that goes. That's that's even that's even too much for Buffalo. It really is. <laughs> I mean, they 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 can handle the three. The six is just that's unheard of. It's just basically like we'll see you in March, guys. You know, I I hope you've <laughs> got enough beef on wax in the in the house to, <laughs> to survive the rest of this winter. So, I think they they can it up there. They can beef on wax. They can, they've got canned beef on wecked. Um, yeah, they they store it up for winter. They're like squirrels with beef sandwiches. <laughs> Do you have any parting words, Steve? No, just goodbye and thanks again for listening and goodbye Twitter, I guess. Yeah, I guess I have to figure out what Mastodon is, huh? Yeah, I uh, follow us on Mastodon. I guess. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, please check us out on Google Podcasts, and we'll post it to the old school T-Pop webpage uh, probably tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to sign off. I am Kevin Cray. I'm Steve DiMaselli. All right. Catch you guys later.